Welcome to Spam 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 Humbug. You've got two of us tonight. Uh, you got myself with Stan the Fury Dragon, and we've also got Linguistic Dragon. Hello, hello! So, tonight we are actually, this is really kind of a, a big deal as episodes go, because this is the first episode in which the topic has been determined or, or set by an outside suggestion. Woo! And, uh... Yeah, you'll recall back in episode 14 that we, uh, before we got to talking about New Project Britannia, we gave a shout out to uh, Juliet, who is a friend of Linguistic Dragons, and she sent in a, a great suggestion. She asked if we'd consider doing an episode on how the Ultima series handled the subject or subjects of masculinity and femininity and how these are explored in different characters and or the virtues. So the uh, the episode title uh, that I've chosen is And Art Thou Male or Female? It's from the Ultima 6 character creation screen. And that's what we're going to try and attempt to explore tonight. And um, hopefully we don't open too many cans of worms <laughs> in the process. But I am going to tear the lid off of one right now in order to kind of establish... Um, a thesis, I guess, sort of a, a little bit of a framing thesis. Uh, roughly eight years ago, there was a uh, Coastal Carolina U University created and distributed campus-wide this, this poster, and it showed a pair of college students, uh, one was male, one was female, <coughs> drinking cocktails. And the caption of the poster read, Jake was drunk, Josie was drunk, Jake and Josie hooked up, Josie could not consent. The next day, Jake was charged with sexual assault. Now, the point in bringing this up isn't to start uh, a lengthy argument or discussion about any of the hot button topics that continue to swirl around issues like hookup culture, sex on college campuses, consent, and, and such like. Those are separate topics, and any of each could send us down a really deep rabbit hole. And, you know, the two-hour podcast was pushing it. I, I don't think we need to go to six hours here. <laughs> but... There is kind of a concept, I think, that underpins the message of the poster that I want to draw out. And I think it is that, you know, the logic of the poster is presupposed on this idea that, you know, sex is something that men do to women, which is part of the reason why, even though Jake, in this hypothetical scenario, was also incapable of consenting to sex, being every bit as drunk, he ended up being viewed as the aggressor and the guilty party. The male figure in that example is the actor, and the female figure is the recipient the one being acted upon. And this is sort of a theme that I think we see echoed a lot in the societal concept of, you know, what is a man or, or what is a woman in, in the stereotypes surrounding those questions. The, the idea of the masculine is that of the actor, the outward directed force. And the notion of the feminine seems to be very often, you know, the, the nurturer, the, the one who is more inward directed and receptive. Um, <clears throat> To be fair, I suppose there is some biological basis for this, at least in, you know, the typical reproductive context of the species. Women do tend, more often than not, to be the nurturers, i.e. of children, and men tend, uh, more often than not, to be the providers, i.e. the ones who go out, act upon the world to obtain resources, and then return with those to their families. <clears throat> right, so now that I'm not quite done being contentious. It would also seem <laughs> at first glance, it would seem that the eight virtues of the Ultima series could almost be divided along these lines. Um, on the side of, you know, the masculine slash active slash outward directed 
we could probably array virtues like valor, honor, justice, sacrifice. Uh, meanwhile, on sort of, you know, that feminine slash passive slash inward directed side, we could possibly line up compassion, honesty, spirituality, and humility. And again, this is just an at first glass, at first glance, there we go, I can talk, thing. <laughs> words are hard. <clears throat> uh, words are hard. Uh, they, they persist in having meaning, despite my desire for them not to have meaning. Stupid semantics. But, uh, I know. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways, you know, having said that, that really is just an at first glance thing. Um, because, you know, even though the virtues do roughly split evenly into these framing categories and then easily, and, you know, we really don't even have to think about it that much, you know, just enumerate them. And then it's like, oh, yeah, well, those could be on that side and those could easily be on that side. That's not really... <clears throat> we'll, we'll see coming up here, and I'm going to let linguistic drive here in a moment. Um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll see coming up here that, that that's really not how Ultima ultimately ends up presenting them. Linguistic actually had a chance to speak with Juliet about her topic suggestion a bit more. Um, since she's currently making her way through Ultima 4, she's kind of become interested in how the series portrays masculinity and femininity in regard to the virtues. And uh, <clears throat> so he was able to kind of, you know, um, collect some additional thoughts from her. And <clears throat> well, anyways, I'll let him drive for a little bit. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had a chance uh, when we, um, when we were starting to plan this episode, um, I figured that I should get in touch with her, see what, um, sparked her to suggest um the topic in the first place and um she's actually an ultima newbie um ultima 4 that she's been playing through recently is her first and only ultima game uh at this point she's heard me blather about the series for quite some time now but uh, it's it was kind of interesting talking with uh, someone who's kind of got a very fresh perspective on all this um but um the first thing she brought up to me was was um the virtues themselves and how they align with um, align toward a more, you know, masculine or feminine bent, like you mentioned earlier and her, her, um, you know, initial, initial gut feeling on those aligned uh, much the way you did, much the way um, I can't talk tonight either. Um, That bit I said before. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Words are hard. Yeah. yeah, she 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 Meaning. tended to she tended to um you know view valor, honor, justice, sacrifice as something that tends to be portrayed as the more masculine um as as virtues associated more often with men uh in fiction. She's an English major, so this is kind of her thing. But um fair enough. Um and compassion, honesty, spirituality, humility, um as tending to be associated more with the female. And she mentioned Katrina um, uh, specifically in my talks with her. Um, uh, Her intrigue that the party member who represents humility is female. Um, We've had lots of discussions on the subject of humility before, and um, we've had some talks on how uh, humility in some respects tends to be contrary to what the popular view of masculinity tends to be. Um, which is why it intrigued her so much that um, that um, the party member in Ultima Four representing representing humility was female. 
But um, when she said that, the first thing that sprang to mind, since I'm currently going through it right now, was um, the little bit in Ultima 6, in which it's Connor, a man who is held up as the town's best example of humility. Um, and then um, and then I couldn't help thinking of uh, YOLO, um, because compassion is one of those virtues that tends to be associated with the feminine, you know, the gentleness of motherhood. And yet it's YOLO, a man who is uh, chosen to represent the virtue in among the companions of the avatar and does demonstrate the virtue to a fairly good extent as, um, as he's characterized further throughout the series. And then um, got to thinking of valor, which is the virtue, you know, that tends to bring up the very picture of the knight in the shining armor, you know, the big burly man on the white charger brandishing his sword. And yet come Ultima Underworld, it's Syria, who is a woman who is your sole trainer in the art of swordplay up until you um, up until you reached Killorn Keep. And then... Um, Actually, if about- I can just interject one thing, oh, yeah, sorry, if I can just interject one thing before you go on there, um, I just actually remembered that in Ultima Forever, um, <clears throat> the warrior order in Jalam um, was primarily, possibly even exclusively female. Now, I mean, okay, Ooh. it is Ultima Forever, so you know they are actually, you know, they are taking liberties with the lore, certainly. Right. But that was one thing I remember them doing: is that you go to Jalam. And almost all of the fighters were female. And I think at one point they actually pointed that out. It was like, you know, this was an all female order contrasting it with the order of the silver serpent, who of course had never really been, unfortunately were never really revealed in the game, but I kind of suspect that if what they had ever finished implementing serpents hold, that would have been like the all male order, you know, to, but I don't know. But anyways, I know they did put, you know, the city of valor, all the warriors, there were women. Oh, that's interesting. So there's another, yeah, they had some fun with that. Anyway, sorry, that was an interjection. Please continue. <laughs> well, the only other thing I, I had was, um, was despite the fact, you know, that justice um, could arguably be considered as the more active and therefore, quote unquote, masculine um, sort of virtue, I couldn't help thinking um, of the common depiction of the personification of justice as the blindfolded woman holding the scales. And of course, there's Yana, who is a woman and the representative of justice among the companions. Um, so when it comes to the series as a whole, I mean, there's pretty decent representations of each of the virtues among both genders. Um, but um, the question that kind of intrigued her was, was does it manifest differently when it's, um, when it's present and enacted by a man as it is compared to present and enacted by a woman as far as the series goes. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's actually also worth noting that sacrifice, uh, which again, you know, we could tend to think of as a more masculine virtue, generally speaking, um, <clears throat> is personified by Julia. It's also noting actually for what it's worth at the shrines. Um, now, I mean, okay, this is only an Ultima nine. There's no other Ultima games in which the shrines appear that have voice acting. There was the speech pack for Ultima eight, but there's no shrines in Ultima eight, at least not of the eight virtues. So we can't really comment on this other than as, as a one-off point of historical interest, but it is worth noting that all the shrines in Ultima nine um, have a feminine voice. Oh, right. When they, when they speak their little bit. 
But I mean, <clears throat> that could have been, you know, just a, a stylistic, you know, a stylistic choice on the part of the designers because most people prefer, I, well, I don't know. Maybe they just figured that most people would have preferred listening to a feminine voice than a masculine voice. I don't know. But, but anyways, that is part of their character within the established lore of the series. So even if there is only one example of it that we can point to. Right. And then, well, uh, taking that as some representation of, of uh, spirituality, then of course you've got Chamino on the other end of it, who's male. Yeah, that's true. He is. Um, just trying to think if there's any other really standout points. Um, No, I, I think I think everything else kind of goes uh, roughly along the division previously specified. I mean, Dupre the Paladin, uh, Jeffrey the Fighter, I don't know the Ranger, Mariah the Mage. Yep, uh, Katrina. I think those are the main examples. But it is, I mean, it is also worth noting that yeah, you know, when you get to, um, you know, or, e- or even little things like you know. In Ultima Six, again, the the mantra of uh, compassion. You have to go to a, uh, I believe it's the male bard Kenneth, uh, who has the mantra for you. I think they the both girl... do. Does the I little girl have the mantra? That, but... I, I know she has now, the, the girl. Rune, the girl has the rune, but I, rune, but I think both of the bards in in there can give you the mantra. Oh, okay. Maybe that's it then. Um, I know in Minoc, Minoc, um, it's a male who has the rune, but I believe you have to go to a, a woman. I think it's the healer for the mantra. I don't remember that. Truth be told, I haven't really done much seeking out the mantras in Ultima six because, well, I know them already. So <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and you're playing, you know, that would be consistent with how you're playing it, right? Because you're playing a summer exactly this a couple times already. So, you know, yeah, you don't really, but I mean, for, for all you Ultima six newbies out there, if you can't remember the mantras because you either played the other Ultimas and forgot, or you never played any of the other Ultimas. Um, if you talk to certain people, they will give you the mantras. And there you go. Um, <clears throat> so, spoiler alert. <laughs> it is for, it is uh, Connor who gives you the mantra 20... of humility, though, too. It's, it's if I recall right, it's true, also one of the true. markers that he's the guy you're looking for as far as the exemplar mm. of humility. Yeah, and the mayor who gives you the uh, rune itself. It's also them, male. Who is also male. So they, they do kind of mix it up even when, you know, <clears throat> the, the companion is sort of following the category outlined earlier. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I kind of labeled this as a side point, but really it's not because <laughs> um, <clears throat> it really does kind of follow from uh, Juliet's question, you know, about like self-sacrifice is demonstrated by a man being different or not. You know, we don't really know yet. Um, you know, versus, you know, by a woman. Uh, now again, <clears throat> I mean, here too, we don't have a ton of example, you know, because Ultima's always been a little bit more lighthearted. Usually even when it's dealing with heavy subject matter, you know, it never really got too, too dark. You know, it's not like <clears throat> for much of its run, it's certainly not like mass effect where, you know, it's like, you know, oh my gosh, I, you know, 
made this wrong decision a third of the game ago, and now three of my party in the final mission died. It's not quite that bad, but you, <laughs> you know, like it really is at least in ME two, and then again in ME three, it really thrusts that choice upon you. You know, like <clears throat> if you don't do this, if you don't take care of these other issues, then this person might die, or this person might die. You know, there, there's that real sense of cause and effect. Uh, and it can be, I mean, you know, Bioware does like to amp up that human drama. So, you know, you do form an attachment to your squad mates and you do kind of hate to lose them. Right. Especially if you have been pursuing, you know, building rapport with them through dialogue. Oh my, yes. Uh, ultimate doesn't, yeah. Ultimate doesn't really do a lot of that. I mean, you, there is that scene in Ultima five, you know, and that's kind of shattering, but the companion's back for ultima six so it's okay kind of um and then really the only example is um dupre and serpent isle uh-huh uh well and the avatar proper in ultima nine right um but you know there's not too many other and that's just responding specifically to the concept to the idea of self-sacrifice because you know uh You know, there's not too, too many points at which, you know, the Ultima series really explores that. And even then it's kind of more towards the end of the series. Well, the series as a whole tends uh, to be more an invitation to explore said themes and questions it brings up rather than an in-depth exploration in-game itself. And, well, that's part of why I enjoyed the series, really. Yeah, well, and I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's supposed to kind of just feel like a Ren Fair, you know, we're just here to have fun. Exactly. You know. It's like a big LARP session. <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't beat you upside the head with a point. Well, exactly. That's right. You know, and I mean, but, and that's what it was based on, right? Like it was based on, you know, Richard Garriott and his buddies and they're LARPing and they're Renfair going and all the rest of that stuff. So it kind of, it translates into that sort of feel. And it is, it is just, it's lighter. Um, mm-hmm. Not that it doesn't broach the serious topics, but you're right. Like it usually does that in a way that's, you know, you can you can walk away and think about it and not you know just feel down for two days. <laughs> so, but anyways, the the I wanted gender. to kind of just veer here onto uh, the idea of gender identity for a minute. I mean, culturally speaking, it's a difficult thing that we'll have to enter into. Possibly the most difficult thing we'll have to enter into into our lives or into in our lives. Uh, or it can be. It's something that really should be straightforward. You know, the physiological and psychological aspects of gender, you would think should be fairly easily navigated. But I think there's a lot of cultural baggage that winds up getting piled on top of it. And this sort of complicates, messes up really, um, messes things up, messes up matters. Yeah. <laughs> just about every culture that I can think of lays out, you know, sets of expectations for what constitutes a man or a male and what constitutes a woman or a a female. But, you know, take, take this podcast, for example, I'm not recording this podcast in a manly way. Um, I'm just recording it as a man, as a male. Juliet herself isn't asking about gender depictions in the eight virtues in a necessarily womanly way, she's asking those questions as a woman. If I make a meal, if I play with my kids, or heck, even if I do the laundry, 
Um, I don't do these things in a manly way, according to the Western stereotypes of manliness, but I do them as a male. And that's okay. It is really kind of beautiful even. Um, and I might be courting controversy here if I haven't been already, but I think a lot of, you know, the confusion around this issue of gender that we see today is sort of a, a, a response to these stereotypes of, you know, what a man is or what a woman is. I, I found it telling uh, that, you know, when Caitlyn Jenner chose to appear to the world post-surgery in that photo spread, what was that, Vanity Fair? Posing so, yeah. in that almost, yeah, posing in that almost classic pinup style, you know, Jenner was presented as being very stereotypically feminine. And yet we also live in a culture where there's a lot of ink and electrons spilled by people railing against those very same notions of the stereotypically feminine as being somehow offensive to women or demeaning or, or, you know, not being what a woman is about. It's a real contrast. You have Caitlyn Jenner over here appearing in, you know, the form of the stereotypical feminine ideal. And then over here you have, you know, bloggers at Jezebel and wherever else railing against the horror of women being judged based on their looks and demeanor. It's a really, I, I was struck by the contrast because I mean, my, <laughs> I follow several, probably a couple hundred different websites, including most of like the Gawker verticals. So it was just <clears throat> during that whole, uh, time frame it was just article after article and it's just like okay this is going one way this is going completely the other way <laughs> what what's going on here what the heck is happening uh, here <clears throat> yeah and so uh you know what? i'm going to skip this side note for a little bit but uh well you know what okay <clears throat> let's let's actually go on to a genuine side note for a moment hold that thought about um uh about uh, gender roles and gender confusion and stereotypes for a minute. I actually just want to go into one little side note. Um, <clears throat> this is something stirring dragon put me onto and I actually have to apologize to stirring dragon first. Uh, I thought I could get stats for the ultimate dragons Facebook group, but this actually turned out not to be the case. I was however, able to pull stats for the Facebook page, the Ultima series, Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash the Ultima series. <clears throat> which as near as I can tell is kind of the, the main, you know, Facebook page. You know, if you like Ultima, you can like this page. Um, now this is only as scientific as Facebook profiles are accurate, which is to say, I hope you have a salt shaker, <laughs> but here, <laughs> but, uh, and there'll be a graph in the show notes. Um, but you know, the breakdown of likes by gender was kind of interesting, uh, in that, uh, 13% of likes came from uh, profiles that uh, identified as female and uh, 87 from profiles that identified as male. So <clears throat> uh, there's also on the graph, uh, I pulled it off of a dashboard application. And so on the graph, there'll also be some red numbers and those uh just represent uh, the decline, the week over week decline or incline, they're red. So it's a decline in the rate at which people like the page. So, you know, uh, last week or this week, rather 
or I guess it'd be last week now when I pulled these stats, 39% fewer males and 42% fewer males clicked the like button on the page as compared to the week before. Uh, so, you know, you can ignore those numbers when you see the graph, but the, uh, <clears throat> the important numbers to pull out of it are 13% female, 87% male. Now it's hard to say just how scientific or accurate these results are. I mean, if I look at my own family, <clears throat> um, I think we all played Ultima. You know, I know I did. I know all my sisters did. I think my brother did, but I can't remember. I mean, he kind of, he's, he's a lot younger than the rest of us. So that may have been kind of past his era, but you know, we all played it. And honestly speak, none of us played it for the plot. Um, but we did play it differently to be fair. <clears throat> we did play it differently in that, you know, like when I would play it, um, I'd go, I'd get into a lot of fights. I'd go exploring some of the dungeons. I'd wander around the continent. I'd sail the boats, you know, I'd never really talk to people because even in a game, I'm a misanthrope, but you know, I was just out wandering around, um, until we figured out, well, okay, well, I'll come back to that until in a moment. Um, you know, whereas my sisters would, um, I don't think Ultima six resonated with them nearly as much as Ultima seven did, because by the time of Ultima seven, like, one of my sisters could sit and bake bread, like for hours, you know, a thousand loaves of bread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, like that was a really cool amount of world sim going on. So, you know, but, um, but then we all, the, the until that I skipped over there was that, you know, uh, until we kind of all realized the level to which the world could be manipulated. And then we all kind of got into the habit of taking over a building and making it our own and just pulling in static objects and decorations from wherever we could. Uh, so, so, you know, but at least in my family, it, it, it would be two male against three female players of, of Ultima. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so, uh, again, it's hard to say how scientific or even accurate the results from the Facebook likes are. Um, I can't pull data on how many male or female Ultima dragons there are or how many male or female Ultima codex readers there are. Um, <clears throat> now historically the RPG genre tended to have a more predominantly male audience, uh, as did gaming in general back in the 1980s and 1990s. Um, the demographics of gaming have shifted substantially, of course. MMORPGs now still tend to be uh, one of the provinces of male gamers, Um, but apparently more female gamers than male gamers play RPGs in general. That said, I do have to wonder, because at least if the iTunes App Store is any indication, there's a lot of confusion right now about what even constitutes an RPG these days. And that's a discussion for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, no uh, kidding. Talk not, about a can of worms there. Yeah, certainly not something we have time for here. But I'm just going to say straight up that Kim Kardashian Hollywood is not an RPG. Here, here. <laughs> Mather is Game of War Fire Age. You know, I don't care how much Kate Upton you put in the advertisements. It's still not an RPG. Um, but 
you know, so I, I wonder, <clears throat> I would want to deep dive those statistics a little bit more, but I mean, certainly, you know, the, the demographics of gaming have, have certainly changed. And I mean, you know, <clears throat> my sisters were playing Ultima right alongside me back in the nineties, you know, when supposedly more men than women played games, whatever, we all played games. Um, and, you know, depending on how you look at the statistics, <clears throat> more women than men play games. But then again, too, you know, it's, it's, it's more interesting once you actually start pulling it apart and looking which games, you know, men favor versus which games women favor, um, you know, mobile versus console genre versus this genre. It's, it, it, it's actually a really interesting research thing, but again, like we're probably getting a little too far off topic if we go into that, but to come <laughs> Yeah, but to come back to, you know, <clears throat> where we were before this side point about the demographics of the Ultima fandom, um, you know, talking about <clears throat> gender confusion and, and aligning with, you know, these stereotypes or railing against these stereotypes, these social stereotypes that, that have been built up. Um, I think the Ultima games... Well, I mean, at least in my considerable experience of like Ultima six, I actually think the games do a really good job of not getting caught up in those stereotypes for the most part. There's no Great. real dip. Yeah. There's no real difference in the experience of the game based on whether you select a male or a female avatar. I, uh, okay. I mean, Terry at the mint will hit on you if you're uh, male uh, <clears throat> versus being, you know, respectful and kind of fangirlish if you're female. Um, and I suppose, you know, the reciprocal of that is Brendan in, in Serpentile, since he'll hit on and even bed a female avatar. But for the most part, um, at least until you get into the last couple of entries in the series where you're locked in as, you know, the, the blonde male avatar, um, <clears throat> Ultima just lets you play the game as you are. Uh, the experience of being a male avatar isn't that the game throws chest hair power tools and, and boobs at you. You just <laughs> play and experience the story as a male. And and the nice thing about that, I think, is that for the most part, the, the Ultima games try not to tie gender to externals. You know, thou mayest be a female or a male in thy declared gender but your actions are those of the avatar. And ultimately, you know, and this is coming back to something I said before about cooking laundry and whatever else, you enact them not in a manly or womanly way, but as a male or as a female. You know, the action's really just the same. If there's any masculinity or femininity that's imparted to it, it's really, you know, just something that you, the player, infuse into it you know by by virtue of your being uh, and not because you know the methodology or the presentation is being changed based on that and i think in a lot of ways it's kind of the same for the companions and for the virtues you know even when the companions are presented as male and female it's not so much that they're being portrayed as stereotypically manly or, or womanly they're the companions and they aid the avatar and aid Britannia as men and as women. Dupre could be the one possible exception, you know, 
demonstrates uh, some male stereotypes, at least uh, in respect to his survey of pubs. But even but, then, I'd argue know, it's 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 more a matter of his character than the fact that he's just a male being stereotypically male. Yeah, I mean, he's just <clears throat> he he's the he's he brings the good times exactly, and the ducks, <laughs> and the ducks. You'll probably have to explain that to Juliet now. I'm sorry. Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you know the full story, though, like all the way back to Greg Dykes. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. Okay, good. <laughs> <sighs> and and two, you know, I think the, the virtues are, are presented in a way that for the most part, even though, you know, at first glance, you could align them with gender stereotypes, for the most part, how the virtues are presented avoids that. I mean, certainly in the game's the men and women of Britannia and of earth for that matter have need of the virtues. They benefit from the virtues essentially in equal measure. I mean, maybe if we get around to doing podcast episodes about uh, the individual virtues and sort of picking them apart one by one, um, it might be interesting to take up further discussion of, you know, how one might manifest and experience each of the virtues as a male or as a female. Um, but in general, you know, there's nothing about valor that's just like rah, rah, manly. And there's nothing about compassion. that's just like gentle womanly. It's just, <clears throat> they're the virtues and the men and women of Britannia enact them and, and participate in them. Essentially, you know, as they are and as individuals, it's, uh, it's a really neat, it's really, I think, you know, just very, um, it avoids those stereotypes and how it presents those. And, you know, to be honest, personally, the two virtues I've always identified the most with valor, yes. Um, but compassion <laughs> as well, you know, usually like if I'm going through the virtue questions, it usually comes down to those two. And usually compassion wins. <laughs> <clears throat> so that, that, that's my thinking on it is that, you know, this is a, this is really something that, you know, Ultima, despite the fact that, you know, it's set up would suggest that, you know, this would be an easy trap for it to fall into for the most part, it doesn't. Um, Again, you could maybe argue that the last couple of games where you're locked in as the male avatar break that. Um, and, you know, it's funny, right? Because, you know, you still hear this excuse being made today. Was that uh, Ubisoft with Assassin's Creed um, that, you know, was still making the uh, the excuse that, uh, well, we don't have a female assassin for you to play because it's a lot of extra work to build and animate that character and it's difficult. And they got lambasted for that. Oh my, yes, they did. <clears throat> yeah. And you know what? To be fair, I think in the era of, you know, the modern AAA blockbuster, unless there's, you know, a compelling reason for the character to, you know, be male or be female. So, you know, if you're making like, uh, like Uncharted, for example, because, you know, you are Nathan Drake or uh, Tomb Raider because you are Lara Croft. 
right? <clears throat> so, you know, there, sure, by all means. <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, if you're an Indiana Jones game, right? You're indie. But outside of that, you know, I, I don't think the excuse really flies anymore. It did back when Ultima 8 was made. It did back when Ultima 9 was made. You know, we know enough about the development history of those games to know what kind of crunches they were under in terms of development timelines, uh, in terms of um, even something stupid like, you know, uh, how uh, the, the additional animation frames, you know, required to implement the sprites for a female avatar in Ultima 8 would probably have pushed their uh, requirement for floppy disks uh, past what would have been, you know, profitable per box things like that right because you know they the avatar was the single most animated character and uh to you know support that i don't know maybe with ultima 9 same thing right again you know but back then yeah it made a little more sense because yeah resources were tight this was kind of like you know the end of the era of discs when games were just kind of flirting with that you know limit where it's just like you know it makes no sense to release a game of this size on floppy disks. And then of course, Ultimate <laughs> 9 is kind of like, you know, the first gen of 3D RPGs, where again, it's just like, <clears throat> we're barely keeping this thing running with, you know, the asset set we have. Um, so there, I guess it does make a little more sense. But, you know, in the, in the modern era, I don't think that excuse flies at, at all. And, but I think for at least up until Serpentile, um, you just, you experience the Ultima and the virtues and the companions, um, as you are, and they are portrayed in a way that really sidesteps a lot of the stereotypes, uh, around yeah. masculinity and femininity. Well, truth be told, I think that's part of the reason why the series has resonated with me as much as it has. I mean, I am very much a man, uh, despite the fact that my um, uh, very distinct tenor voice and um, androgynous name uh, has led to me getting confused for a woman over the phone <laughs> on numerous occasions. Um, but yeah, but I bet you can just nail those those solos, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have no idea. But um, but yeah, my interests do not align anywhere near the typically masculine. I mean, I still only have the barest understanding of how American football works. I have absolutely no understanding whatsoever of the inner workings of a car. But um, I uh, but I very much know my way around a crochet hook. Um, <laughs> oh, you should see what I've done there. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of examples in, um, the Ultima series where, you know, you still have characters who are very much a man or a woman, despite the fact that their, you know, interests don't necessarily align with that. I mean, Ultima six, I, I'm thinking of, um, um, oh, what's her name? Andrea, the, uh, tavern keeper in you i think it is the the big the big burly woman who's the arm wrestling champion of the city who will uh have a few rounds with you if you so choose and then there's um uh andy the uh the serving girl in uh 
Jellum or Jalome or however you pronounce that, um, you know, who insists on call on being called Andy, despite the fact she goes, yes, I know it's a boy's name. I like it. Uh, yeah, well, totally. Right. I- I'm sharing a screenshot with you right now. Do you recognize who that is? Uh, in the, uh, in the screenshot there. Vaguely, uh, uh, you're probably mm-hmm. going to want to tell that's me a guy named, that's a guy named that is Mr. R Lee Ermy. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Better known <laughs> as that drill sergeant from like full metal jacket. Oh, and, <clears throat> and so that's a picture of him. Uh, I guess the pat he was like taking a flight somewhere and he was knitting on the flight. <laughs> I am in good company. Then. He's yeah. He's an actual Marine though. eh? so <clears throat> I, I imagine that for a Marine, um, exacting precision with small, sharp, pointy things is probably a skill <laughs> that you want to hone by any means possible. Right. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> who knows? Knitting's Yeah. So there you go. <clears throat> you, you are in good company, you and your crochet hooks. And you know, I mean, <laughs> much the same for me though. Right. Like, okay. I admittedly, uh, one of the things I did while my wife and kids were away was there were a pair of tree stumps in the yard. And I rented a stump grinder and just went to town on them. So they are now sawdust. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and it wasn't it was, that a very manly thing to do. It was, it was admittedly stupidly good fun. I hurt <laughs> like heck the next day. It <laughs> felt like I had been hugging a blender for eight hours. <clears throat> oh, no, there's an analogy. Yeah, but oh, the thing just rattles and vibrates and it's loud. It is, it is like, you know, wear ear protection. Um, but it was fun. Like it was genuinely fun to, you know, be out and to, you know, be working on something and to just, you know, <clears throat> just doing something heavy because, you know, I'm an, I, I'm not it, but you know, I work in a, in a it like job. So it's a desk job and I do a lot of stuff with computers, um, <clears throat> outside of my work as well. So, you know, yeah, I don't really do a ton of, you know, the manual labor type stuff. So yeah, it's, but you know what? Any of it's fun for me. I mean, I could be grinding a stump. I could be planting tomatoes. Um, it, it doesn't matter. You know, just if I have a chance to get outside and work with my hands on, on anything, you know, whether it's, you know, manly power tool work or (laughs) gardening, you know, like it doesn't, uh, it's, it's just a chance to do something with my hands and I don't, yeah, again, you know, coming back to that, I don't really think of it as, you know, I'm doing this and it is like the most manly thing ever. Um, I just, I am a male, I am a man, and this is a thing that I am doing. Um, now that said, um, one of the other things I had to do over the summer, I did this a, a couple of three weeks ago was, uh, straighten one of the fence posts. And so that involved, uh, I had to get a a really big sledgehammer and kind of hammer away, uh, about half of the concrete that had been poured around its base. And then the, the neighbors on the other side of the fence, they have a, a tree right there actually. So then I had to run a ratchet strap around the fence post and around the tree and basically, you know, use the ratchet strap to, pull the fence post back vertical and then keep tension there so that it would stay vertical. 
And then I had to, where I had hammered out all the concrete, I had to dig even deeper into the ground, pour concrete, uh, first, uh, first some dry concrete mix and then, you know, uh, wet mixed concrete, uh, around it to hold it in place. And then, you know, a couple of days later, take the ratchet strap off and Hey, what do you know? It held, um, <laughs> I, I did notice, um, that, you know, when I came in, uh, after spending half an hour hammering concrete, uh, with a really, really big sledgehammer, (laughs) 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 um, that, you know, uh, my, my wife certainly seemed, uh, to be indicating, shall we say a a very heightened and very particular interest in, in myself. (laughs) Um, so, you know, is, I don't know. It's, it's a funny thing, right? Because again, it's like, you know, I'm not out there like swinging the hammer. Like I am man hammer. It's like, it's fun. It's fun to hit things with a hammer. It's not that it's not, but it's just like, you know, my main thought was, my God, why am I doing this? And it's 34 degrees Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, you come in and it's just like, oh, okay, well, that's that's an interesting outcome. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's... Uh, I don't think the stereotypes are that um, helpful in most respects. I think it's much better to, you know, just do the things that you have to do, do the things that you like to do, do the things that you want to do. Um, do them, do them as you are, do them as a man, do them as a woman. Um, and then just, you know, let the rest of the world respond. (laughs) (laughs) That's my take on it because, you know, I, I, I think, I think trying to, you know, be more of the stereotype of the manly man would be, it sounds like a lot of work, actually. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I, I don't really, I don't really care to learn how to strip down an engine. Um, I mean, yeah, it makes two of us. Yeah, like I, I don't, I, I certainly, you know, do believe that. You know, if anything, you know, I have this. Uh, I do have this belief that you know, if you're going to use a thing, you should be able to do basic maintenance on the thing, right? And that's true of anything, a computer. Um, a car. So like, you know, if a fuse blows out in my car, I I should know how to deal with that. You know, Um, I do take it to get the oil changed. I could do the oil change myself if I needed to. That's not a hard, that's not a particularly hard thing. Um, But like, you know, we had an issue with the car a little while ago where um, probably the solenoid in the starter assembly 
uh, crapped out. I'm not going to worry about that. That's when it goes to the shop. <laughs> you know, I can do my part. I can diagnose that it's not a fuse. I can diagnose that it's not the starter controller because those are, you know, like hot swappable pieces. Um, but, you know, okay, once I've exhausted that and, you know, made sure that it's not, you know, the fluid levels or anything have crapped out. Um, but okay, now, now we're at the point where it's, you know what, I'm going to hand it off to you and you tell me what's wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, yeah. Send it off to the experts. If I, exactly. You know, I prefer to be, I prefer to put my expertise behind other things. Like, I mean, I've, I've stripped a, a MacBook down to its skeletal frame before. I've replaced the motherboard in laptops before. Um, you know, and that is tedious and nerve wracking work, you know, basically <laughs> pulling a, 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 an iBook apart into all of its constituent parts because to change out the logic board, you have to remove everything that isn't the logic board. So, you know, like I, I <laughs> two of them actually, well, we're both right here, actually. Um, pull, pulled them right down, replaced the logic boards in them, built them all back up, turned them back on again. It's nerve wracking. It, it was utterly nerve wracking. But on the other hand, <laughs> since that time I've never been scared to crack into a computer case um, <laughs> of any kind yeah so you know like that's that's fine you know what my brother can do to automotives I'm more than happy to do to computers um, you know like that's where my comfort zone is that's where I'm really happy to have that advanced familiarity but whatever you know <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not doing it to align with a stereotype. I'm doing it to align because it's, it's what you fun enjoy. and kind of fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> or even like, you know, and I mean, you know, I get to see this now play out in my kids too, right? In that, you know, I have three daughters. Um, and to be fair, you know, like if I walked out there into the toy room, there's uh, there, there's plenty of Barbies and other dolls and stuffies <coughs> and you know things like that um there's also an astronaut suit um oh good choice lego and mega blocks there's also good uh, choice yep you know there's a kitchen set and there's a drum set and there's, also good choice uh yeah, you know, they're assuming they have rhythm. There's princess. Uh, it doesn't matter. They just like to make a joyful noise. Uh, <laughs> there's princess carriages and there's airplanes, you know, so. And, and you know, I mean, we, we kind of laugh about this because it's like, you know, and because, you know, people do sometimes still say that, you know, pe people who don't know our kids at any rate, sometimes they'll say they're just like, oh, you have girls. Well, that must be, you know, the, the assumption is like, you know, well, we have these three nice demure little ladies running around the house. And it's just like, no, come on over sometime. Witness the craziness. Just, <laughs> just watch the chaos happen. Um, they're, they, they don't, you know, there, there's, they like to wear dresses. Um, well, at least two of them do, but then <laughs> you should see the condition of those dresses when they come home, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, 
they, they, they like to wear, you know, maybe a, a lot of the time they like to wear the girly clothing, but then we'll be traipsing through a forest or they'll be playing in the dirt in the yard for hours on end. And it's just like, you know, there, there's no, there, there's no stereotypes here. It's just, and we don't really try to foster stereotypes either. It's just like, you know what? Go and do these things, you know, just go, go and, and do this stuff. And don't, don't worry about that, that extra baggage. Just, just be. So I can't wait to introduce them to Britannia, but they do need to be a little bit older because, you know, my, my eldest is actually a really good reader, so she could probably start chewing on the games, but. Excellent. Yeah. But, you know, that's uh that's for another time. All right. Well, um, unless you got anything else. Uh, that's all I've got. Okay. Well, so, uh, again, another big thank you to Juliet, because that was actually a really interesting topic to explore. And it's actually really cool to, you know, have uh, some outside suggestions coming in about topics. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely. So thank you again. And uh, always remember... If you'd like to recommend uh, a podcast topic or offer commentary or criticism about podcast episodes or to volunteer your time as a contributor or to, uh, you know, ask for someone to get a shout out, then uh, by all means, send a, an email to ultimacodex at gmail.com. As well, uh, if you haven't already, you should totally sign on with the Ultima Dragons group on Facebook or the Ultima Dragons community on Google+. Plus or contribute to the UDIC hashtag on Twitter, which I'm slowly getting better about jumping on, but I keep uh, forgetting to add it to like some of the ultimate codex posts about stuff. The dragons are doing. Um, but yeah, but you know, one of the best things about Ultima is community and the fact that it's fan community is able to keep going strong 25, 26 now, I guess, years after the last published single player entry in the series. That's this really cool. Like, I mean, how, how does a fandom endure for a quarter century already past? Anyways, wait, maybe it's only 15. <laughs> it's only 15. Shit. I, I was going to say uh, Ultima six is 25. Ultima six is 25. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that earlier. I was thinking that earlier that Ultima six was 25. But, uh, you know what? Whatever. But Even 15 me, years uh, is still impressive. Ultima, Four, Ultima 4's 30th is next month. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I posted... What was I posting? Because um, actually, this week, uh, Ultima two, and three. 2 is... Yeah, yeah, Ultima 2 is 33 years old, and Ultima 3 is 32 years old. Uh, so I posted, actually, on Facebook on the Ultima Dragons, huh, well, Ultima 2 is as old as me, and Ultima 3 is as old as my wife. <laughs> and you know, then you get then <laughs> the better part was like the people who were like old enough to go and buy a Calabeth. Oh, nice! In, in store, chiming in was just like, "Get off my lawn! I hate you, <laughs> man!" And here, I, and here I am, where Ultima Five is like three months older than I am. Yeah, yeah. actually, that was the other. Did I uh, did I get rid of that graphic or did I save it? I think I got rid of it. Uh, the the age demographics for the likes are, are kind of interesting because it's oh man it's actually 
it's not particularly clustered. That's actually the really great thing. I mean, the older nice. demographics do kind of predominate, but it's not like the younger demographics are reduced to just these narrow, narrow pie slices. So <laughs> it's okay. Um, so uh, in addition to that, you know, in addition to jumping into the communities, because they're really, you know, the dragons are great. Um, please also, though, consider liking the Facebook page for the Ultima series or following the Ultima Codex on Twitter or encircling the Ultima Codex on Google+. And whatever social network you favor, please also consider sharing any content posted to those social media profiles with your own followers and, and your friends. Spread the word, spread the Ultima. Um, and if you like Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug, think about leaving us a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or Podbean or anywhere else you listen to us. Because, um, you know, that too will help bring this all to a larger audience. And then finally, there's the Ultima Codex Patreon. A $1 pledge will get you access to these episodes a day before they go live, on, uh, now on Podbean. And you'll be helping me maintain and with sufficient funding, expand the server infrastructure of the Codex to better deliver all the things you come looking for thereat. And on that note, uh, I think we're going to bring this nice podcast episode to a close. So linguistic. Well, in light of the uh, in light of the news posted on the Codex concerning the uh, German translation of Ultima Six and the Italian translation of Ultima Seven, I feel obliged to say uh, Auf Wiedersehen and alla prossima. Nice. <clears throat> and uh, I guess for my own, um, yeah. Thank you one one last time to Juliet. And to all of you avatars out there, be virtuous. <laughs> <laughs>